was a prank. Good morning. Good morning, church. Good morning, friends. Good morning, new friends. I see some faces I don't recognize. Welcome to Grace Life. My name is Sarah, and if you've never been here before, then I want you to know you're an answer to my prayers that I pray every week that the Lord would bring uh, new faces and new recipients of his grace and his encouragement to come through these doors. And, um, and maybe you're here this morning because of my prayer, someone else's prayer, but we want you to know that we're happy that you're visiting with us at Grace Life. And hello to all of our friends and our family who are watching from home. We're also so thankful that you joined us. And uh, even um, my old friends and the ones who are just near and dear to my heart, you're an answer to my prayer this morning too because I kind of had a rough night last night. And um, this is one of my favorite places in the world to be. And I don't say that because my husband's the pastor here. Trust me, I don't, I don't say that because of that. Um, I, <laughs> no, I, that, sound, that, that came out the wrong way. What I mean is... Nobody's paying me to say that. Nobody's elbowing me to say that. I genuinely love coming to the house of God, and not just because it's grace life. It's because it's where God meets me and um, where I am just encouraged and loved on by his children. And um, so anyways, anyway, I, last night I had a rough night, and one of my kids was, was up, you know, through the night and different reasons. And um, very rarely do I ever, you know, on a Sunday morning feel like, I just want to stay home. I'm just not in the mood, you know, to go to church. Uh, I'm not saying that to put a feather in my cap. It's just that's how bad I need to be at church <laughs> every Sunday because my weeks are so long that um, I'm just chomping at the bits to get here. But this morning I was just feeling like, Lord, it just feels like, you know, it's just going to take an act of God to just, you know, get my mind and my heart in the right place to just feel like I can come and I can engage and I can... Um, and I'm thinking, well, I'm doing the welcome, but I'm like, yeah, someone can always do that for me or Tommy can just, you know, fill in for me. But you know, the Lord was just speaking to me and I know that this is the reality for so many people every week that they're hearing these voices too. And, uh, maybe they're not married to a pastor. They don't have quite the, you know, nudge that I have, but they're hearing those voices too. And whether it's, you know, it's just, it's been a long week and I kind of need, you know, I need a day of rest. I need to get my ducks in a row for tomorrow. Or, uh, <clears throat> you know, maybe I'm, you know, do I feel a little hot, honey? Or, you know, like trying to figure out, you know, my something, you know, uh, catching something or just, you know what I mean. Just the things that can kind of pop up all of a sudden, either on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning. And so I was praying this morning. I was like, okay, Lord, you know, um, even just thinking about that song, it says, you know, weak, we're made, we're, you know, those who are weak are made strong in the Savior's love. And it was like that love just kind of pouring over me, you know, that I'm not made strong because I fear what other people are going to think of me. I'm not made strong because I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm not made strong, you know, because fill in the blank. I'm made strong, even in my weakness, to be able to get myself dressed, get my kids together and get, and, you know, come to church because of the Savior's love. Just knowing, you know, Lord, that you are, you're meeting me right here, right here in this moment and all of my just struggles. And I was praying for, for you, church. And I was thinking there's someone this morning that's probably sitting on a fence right now and thinking, oh, it's getting late. I don't have time to pull myself together. And I was like, Lord, speak to that person and just, you know, tell him, just come because you may have something 
you know, really important for them this morning. So, you know, if you're here and that was you, maybe you were an answer to my prayer as well. And uh, here's our Grace Life welcome that we do every single week. And, oh, that QR code, sorry, I got carried away. That's uh, every Sunday we have the QR code up there as well. You can actually click on that right now if you want to. And that will take you to our scripture reading. That will take you to some, uh, to a, like an app or, you know, um, a page where you can connect with Grace Life in different ways, whether it's through finding out events or gatherings we have going on, whether you just have something you want to tell somebody, you know, a burden you're carrying or some prayer that you would like. It doesn't matter if you're a member at Grace Life or you're here for the first time this morning or you're watching us online and maybe there's something, you know, that you really want some prayer for, then click that QR code and, and find a, a link on there that you can submit a prayer request or anything. Maybe you have a question about something. That's what, it, that's what, that's what we're here for. And, um, and then also there's a way to give online. We don't pass a plate at Grace Life. We do have a donation box for those that are, you know, sharing their tithe and offering, <clears throat> but that's also available. And so uh, now we're going to read the welcome I was telling you about. And we have this every Sunday. And I was thinking again about the struggles I was having this morning. And I was like, you know what? It's okay to show up to church tired, morning, weary, feeling worthless. Those are all the things that are convincing you that you have no business going to church, right? But of all times, you know, for me at least, that's when I need to be at church. And I need to be, I need to be strengthened. And I need clarity. And I need new hope. And uh, that's just my encouragement to myself this morning and to you. Press into those thoughts that, you know, I know, or even from the enemy too. The enemy does not want you uh, coming to a place where you're going to be renewed, your mind's going to be renewed by truth, and you're going to have the children of God embracing you and welcoming you. And so that's what this welcome is all about, that it's just saying, look, this is the reality of living on this, this, this broken planet. Most of us aren't, aren't skipping into church on a Sunday morning feeling like we got it all together. And so here's our, here's our welcome that we, we recite every single Sunday. Here's what it says. Welcome to all who mourn and need comfort, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and need strength, to all who sin and need a savior, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and to whoever else will come, Grace Life Church opens wide her doors in the name of Jesus Christ and offers welcome. So we're going to open up to the scriptures now. Tommy is back in Romans this Sunday and uh, jumping into the, the next section in Romans 7. So you can read along with us on the screen or you can open your, your Bible, your phone. It's Romans 7, 7 through 13. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin 
producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be, or in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. So pray for Tommy as he's come back this passage. It's a doozy. I'm Tommy. Good morning. <laughs> I'm so thankful that you're here today. Thank you, Sarah, for that warm, encouraging greeting. <laughs> um, it is a joy to be here with you today. I'm so thankful for this church. Um, there's no place in the world I would rather be than here with you. And speaking to those of you who are watching from home uh, or online, however, in God's providence, he, he sovereignly brought you to the, to the website where you're watching us and with us live. I'm grateful um, I was just reflecting this morning, just sitting in my seat, how, how grateful I am to not only be called into the gospel ministry, but to be specifically called to Deltona, uh, to this congregation, to each and every one of you, and to people I have not met yet, um, and maybe some people that are here for the first time today that I look forward to the, to the pleasure of meeting you. It really is a joy. There's nothing in the world I would rather do than what God has called me to do, and you and in a large measure enable me to do that. I was at a conference with 12,000 other men this week and, and meeting with some of them. Most of them are, are, are pastors and hearing the struggles that they are having in their congregations. And, and some of them are not supported full-time, so they're what we call bivocational pastors. They work a, a side job or side hustle or something, and then their spare time, they're, they're pouring them, themselves into the Word. They're counseling people. They're preaching um, and, and some of those struggles I, I haven't had to know. And maybe God knows I'm a weakling. I couldn't handle that. But you've been very gracious. I know that, that, that you give. You give sacrificially. You give joyfully and cheerfully and regularly. And I'm thankful for that. There's a lot of things we're able to do uh, because of that that we would not otherwise be able to do. And you give out of gratitude. We, we, don't, we don't slam you with guilt and shame uh, to serve the Lord here. The gospel and, and, and the Holy Spirit of God is what empowers you and renews you. Uh, and, and, and your gratitude over what Christ has done on your behalf to be your sin-bearing substitute, to absorb God's wrath on your behalf. That's what motivates you and leverages you to do what you do. So I'm grateful to be your pastor. I'm thankful to be here. So uh, let's, let's pause for a moment and pray, and then we're going to jump into that passage in Romans 7. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity that you have given us again today to be in your word, to be in your presence. Thank you for the people that you have brought here Thank you for the, the pleasure, the privilege, the joy, and the responsibility of being uh, called into the gospel ministry, to being a shepherd, Lord, uh, for these amazing people. I pray that, that you would help me, empower me, enable me to shepherd them today through the proclamation of your word. These are, are challenging uh, chapters in Romans, Lord, and, and some of them are hard to understand, hard to wrap our minds around, and hard to make real everyday life application. And without your Holy Spirit, we're just here together, gathered in a room, looking at a book. It's just ink on a page. So please send your Holy Spirit, who authored this, Lord, and who no doubt will empower it and will illuminate our minds and hearts to understand what it means to apply it to our life. Thank you for the truth we've already sang and the welcome we have already received. Your word says, welcome 
one another for the glory of God as, as, as God in Christ has welcomed us. And we feel that. We sense that. We're thankful for that, Lord. Help us just to continue now as we read your word together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, I joined my friend Jeff Eckert, who co, co-pastored this church with me the first three years. And we went to Louisville, Kentucky. And we met for the final conference. It's called Together for the Gospel with 12,000 Other Men. And I'm grateful for that opportunity. Thank you for that. Uh, on, the, on the way home, I was on a, uh, there were two legs of my flight coming home. And, and just, just to confess to you, I get really nervous on airplanes. I know that we're all supposed to look for opportunities to, uh, to witness, to share our faith in Christ. And, and that's not a tremendous, now here's me being real with you as a pastor. That's not a tremendous gift of mine. It's everyone's responsibility. And you're thinking, what? He's a pastor? And he doesn't feel like he has the gift of, uh, of evangelism sitting on an airplane? Well, listen, it's really easy to do this for me. You don't talk back, <laughs> right? I mean, some of you do, that's good, amen, whatever. Uh, but it's kind of a one-way conversation here. When you're sitting next to somebody and you're trapped and you don't know them and they may ask hard questions you don't understand, even though I love the Bible, I, I think I have a pretty good grasp on, on the storyline of the Bible, it's, it's not the most exciting thing for me in the world is to go on an airplane with the mindset, I'm going to find somebody and I'm going to assault missile them with the guy. I'm going to accost them. But I always want to be open. Uh, and you know, one of the three things we're praying for this year together as a church uh, is for a building, for a home base, a physical location we can call our own. Uh, secondly, is for our student ministry, the next generation. God's building a student ministry here. He's using Matthew Carr, our discipleship pastor. We're praying for laborers, for ambassadors. And the other thing we're praying for is for gospel conversations to happen. I hope that you're joining our congregation and uniting and praying for that. I can tell you this, as a family, as a husband and wife, and just being out every day talking to people, doing what I do, it's been incredible. I've sensed and felt God answering prayers. I've felt your prayers. So many opportunities God has given me just this month alone to share Christ with people, to share the gospel, to ask questions, to get questions. So on the last leg of my journey home, uh, I was already tired, but I wanted to be open to, to what God would do. Uh, a really sweet older lady came and sat next to me on the plane. It was an hour and eight minute flight, and it took us 30 minutes to get to know one another. And when we did, uh, she, she leaned over and, and saw me reading something. She said, so what do you do? <laughs> uh, and I never tell people I'm a pastor. Uh, just, I'm not ashamed of it. It just shuts down the conversation. People get really weird when you tell them that. I usually say I'm a teacher. Uh, or like I did on the shuttle after the flight, the guy said, what age te- children do you teach? And I'm like, okay, I'm a pastor, you got me. <laughs> but the lady on this airplane, uh, you know, she said, what do you do? Said, I teach. She said, oh, you like to read? I said, oh, I love to read. And we just started talking, and she was telling me about her upbringing. And she said, you know, I went to a, 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 she went to a very strict uh, religious boarding school. I'll put it that way, okay? Um, it was very strict. It was very harsh. It was very oppressive to her. And she was very devout, but for, for reasons I won't get into, you know, she later got married. Her and her husband saw some things in that particular religion that were off-putting to them, and so they disconnected from it. And so she said, are you religious? Do you have a faith that you adhere to? Isn't that interesting, man? Um, I'm like, well, it's a funny thing you ask. I, I sure do. And she said, well, what's the difference? What's the difference between what I grew up believing and hearing and and what you, you grew up believing and hearing? And I said, man, that's a really good question. I said, can I just, can I just launch here and tell you this is what distinguishes uh, 
you want to get really specific, Protestant evangelical Christianity from every other religion and faith in the world? She said, oh, yeah, tell me. <laughs> How about that, man? How about that as an answer to prayer? And I said, well, here it is. I said, every religion, every faith, every system has, has this set of rules. See? Standards, call them commandments, call them laws if you want to. Here's the list. You got to keep it. You got to obey it. You got to toe the line, and then you'll be in. That's how you get in. That's how you get converted, or that's how, that's how that God will welcome you in. How do you get in on this faith, this religion? Keep these rules. Toe the line. Obey them. Be devout. Be religious. And then God will accept you. You obey. God will accept you. And she's tracked with me. And I said, now they may call it different things. Reaching nirvana. Becoming enlightened. Uh, acquiring reincarnation. Being converted. It's called different things in different religions. But it's the same thing. Either complete the quest. You know, do the pilgrimage. Keep the pillars. Whatever it is. It's like, here's the code of conduct. When you keep that, this God over here will accept you. Obey and be accepted. And I said, and Christianity has a list too. Here's the difference. Christianity alone acknowledges, here's God's standard. And uh, <clears throat> here's his demands. And here's the bad news. Here's your performance. You failed. You flunked. Be- pretty terribly. You didn't keep it. You didn't meet the standards. You didn't keep the law. You didn't toe the line. And here's the really bad news. Because of that, this, this God is just, and you're in deep trouble. You're in pretty serious trouble. I said, so that's Christianity. <laughs> and she's like, go on. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, there is more. Do you want to hear more? <laughs> and I said, because I believe that the Christian faith is, is acknowledging, hey, there is a God in heaven, and he is a holy God, and he's a just God, and here are his laws. Here's his commandments. And he doesn't shrink back on that. That's the standard for every single human being who's ever been born. And every single human being who's ever been born, with the exception of one, has failed to keep that list. We are born with our legs carrying us as far away from God as we can, right? We're, we're sinners by birth, we're sinners by nature, we're sinners by choice. Naughty by nature, as one musician called it, right? And I said, but Christianity alone says you failed, but Christianity alone not only acknowledges the problem, but produces a solution in the person of Jesus. So what did God do? God could have judged all of us and sent us into his judgment, into hell forever. And he would have done us no wrong. But here's what God said. He said, I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ. He will become a man. He will take upon himself human nature. I will send him down. That's called the incarnation. We celebrate that every Christmas. We should celebrate it every week, (laughs) right? God became a man. He subjected himself to time, to suffering, to evil. He was born of a woman, born under the law. And Jesus Christ kept the law that you and I would not keep, could not keep, did not keep. He kept it. He stepped in. He was our substitute. He took our place as a law-keeping, law-abiding human being. And then he also said, now we've still got a problem because half of your problem has been kept. I've secured your righteousness for you, and it's a gift. But we got to deal with this justice thing. You, you, you broke my law, and you got to pay the penalty for that. But Jesus also stepped in as our wrath-absorbing substitute, right? So I'm, I'm kind of laying these things out for her, and she's fascinated. She's never heard that before. She grew up in a strict religious boarding school that would use the Bible, and she had never heard that in her life. I thought that was really interesting. And she was, she was just a captive. She was a captive audience. And I told her, look. 
God's law is like a, a pane of glass. There's ten laws, decalogue. That's what that, that word means. Ten words, right? The ten laws, or you could say the 630 laws all combined. It's one system, though. It's one, it's one coherent pane of glass. If you throw a rock and break just one, James chapter 2, verse 10 says, Whoever keeps the law on every point but one uh, breaks all of it. It's like a pane of glass. You shatter the whole thing. So we're all guilty of it. And uh, that's what we talked about on, the, on her airplane. So what was missing from her experience was good news. She had the law. She had the oppression. She had the strictness. And she had this low-grade guilt that she carried around all her life, she told me later. But what she didn't have was good news. She didn't have Jesus and the history-shifting, life-changing work of, of his accomplishment. Um, she had grown up being exposed only to the law. And to be honest with you, the more I talk with her, her exposure to the law, the law wasn't even used the right way in that system that she grew up in. Um, so this passage really talks about that. That's why we're, I'm using this as kind of a launch story. Uh, all of chapter 7, Paul is talking about the law. And uh, just to give you a little bit of context, if you're here for the first time or haven't followed some of the messages, um, Paul is defending the law in chapter 7. He feels the need to defend the law because he's said some pretty volatile things that, that could be misunderstood. Paul's a really great teacher, and any good teacher anticipates confusion and objections and wants to set those straight. So the Apostle Paul, he said earlier, well, let me show you, I've got some slides here. In, in the, the previous section, verse 4, he said, uh, You have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit to God. So one of the things he said about the law is that you died to it. And until you died to it, you couldn't belong to Jesus. So the law, in some strange way, kept you from belonging to Jesus. Man, it sounds like the law is kind of vicious, right? But that's not all that he said. The next verse he said, for while, we were, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. See, here he says, the law has this provocative nature to it. It arouses sin in you. Like, wow, man, that sounds, that sounds pretty vicious too. So the law kept us from Jesus, uh, and the law arouses sin, and it causes us to bear fruit for death. Yes. Uh, here's the third thing he said. He said, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. The law held you captive. You needed to be released from it so that we can serve in the new way of the Spirit and not of the old way of the written code. So you can understand, Paul is, is understanding like, okay, these people are going to start thinking that the law is sinful that it's immoral, that it's evil, that it's bad. So I need to defend the law. So that's why he starts out in verse 7 uh, saying this. What then shall we say, that the law is sin? How's the answer? By no means. It's, it's the strongest way in Greek you can say no. God forbid, perish the thought, heck no. He's saying no, 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 don't misunderstand me. The problem is not the law. The problem is what? You, sin, within you. It's how this law hits a sinful, fallen, rebellious human being. So the rest of the, this section here, he is defending the law. What then shall we say that the, the law is sin? By no means. So Paul is going to tell us what the law is for. That's the title of this message. What is the law for? What's the purpose of the law? And listen, I will tell you this. I will be honest. I think a lot of Christians, people who are converted, they have the Spirit of God in them, I still think many of them get really confused on this. And it doesn't mean they're not a Christian. They're a Christian. They believe the gospel. 
that I believe that this is, is, it's so easy to misunderstand this that a lot of people do, depending on which religious background, maybe like the woman on the plane, she didn't understand this. Um, and it can wreck your life. It can make your life very miserable. You can be a Christian, born again, blood-bought child of God, and you can misunderstand the function and the purpose of the law in your life as a Christian and be miserable and feel oppressed and carry around guilt and feel condemnation for your entire life. I've met plenty of people that have and meet them all the time that come to, my, to this church that still do. And I'm very happy to take them through this chapter and try to help them. And maybe that's where you're at. Maybe my wife's prayer was answered because that's you. You don't want to raise your hand and you don't have to. You say, yeah, help me understand what's the law for. How am I to understand the law of God? Here we go. What does the law do? Three things. Now, that was all introduction, okay? Here's the sermon. Three things that the law of God does. You ready for this? God's law defines sin. God's law provokes sin. I know, that's that's a tough one. We'll, We'll look at it. And then thirdly, God's law condemns sinners. It condemns sinners. So it defines sin, it provokes sin, and it condemns sinners. So point number one is it defines sin. Look at verse one. Verse seven. What then shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Did you hear what Paul's saying? He says, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. And then he continues. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, you shall not covet. And coveting is the 10th commandment. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thy neighbor's servant, thy neighbor's wife or spouse, or donkey, or BMW in this case, whatever it is, coveting means this intense desire for something that does not belong to you. And it includes all kinds of things like bitterness, jealousy, envy, grumbling, complaining, discontentment. Now, I know none of those things would hit anybody here ever, right? right, Okay. (laughs) So Paul said, were it not for that 10th commandment, I would not have known sin. So the first function of the law is to define sin. And you say, well, duh, that's that's very evident, but it's not so evident. Just think about it. If, if people that had grown up in a tradition where they were never exposed to God's moral law, would they know that all those things are forbidden? Now, the, the Bible says the law of God is written in the human heart. So some of those things, sure, sure. I've been on mission trips where people were confessing their sin and they had never heard of the Bible or the gospel or Jesus Christ in, in their life. One guy was confessing drunkenness to me in a village in Thailand where there had never been an evangelist, there had never been a Bible. He was confessing to drunkenness. I thought that was really amazing. He, he had this, uh, this innate desire to talk to a priest and confess something that was burdening him with guilt. Um, here's another missionary story. <clears throat> I went on one of the first uh, missionary trips to South Africa, and we went to a place called uh, Mtamalala Valley, and I was the second group of missionaries that went there. And we were uh, doing follow-up with evangelism. And check this out. There were men there, and this is very common. Mark, you could probably attest to this. In a lot of other countries, this happens. Uh, Polygamy, that means many, many marriages, right? Uh, Men would have multiple wives. And it wasn't just because they uh, had this insatiable lust, sexual appetite. In some cases, it was for an economic situation to help the family. And so check this out. So that's a way of life there. These men would have multiple, sometimes up to three or four wives. An evangelist would come in, preach the gospel. They would repent of their sins. They would get converted. And then the church would, would have the fallout of dealing with, okay, now you've got three wives, and that's not good. 
You can't have three wives. That's sinful. That, that breaks a commandment. You're committing adultery perpetually. So we got we to work this out. And it was a mess. It was a, I mean, which wife's legit, right? Wasn't easy. That's, I'll share that story for another time, how that got worked out. But the idea was they didn't know. They didn't know. Thou shalt not commit adultery. The law defines sin. And not only that, it says you shall not lie, you shall not steal, you shall not kill, you shall not make a graven image of God. You don't build something and say, ta-da, this is what God is like. I'm going to bow down to this. You don't take the Lord's name in vain. I mean, Jesus boils it all down to uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the law of God defines sin. That's the first function of the law is it defines sin. Adultery and fornication are sinful. Lying, stealing, killing. The law defines that. It shows us what's acceptable to God. And in doing that, it shows us what God is like and what God is not like. Paul skips over all the other commandments, and he lists the 10th one. Why do you think that is? Paul was a Pharisee before he became converted. Why do you think he lists the 10th commandment? Anybody? What's that? It's one of the, yeah, it's one of the hardest ones to keep, and it's one of the hardest ones to discover. Coveting, that's internal. Now check this out. Stealing and coveting are two different things. Two different things. Coveting is the act that, it's the thought process that precedes the act of stealing. You can be guilty of coveting but not stealing. Coveting is craving something, intensely craving something that's forbidden, prohibited, that doesn't belong to you. That one got Paul. He's a Pharisee, and Pharisees typically measure their, their level of devotion and performance by all these external behaviors. Well, I've never disobeyed my parents. I've never murdered anybody. I've never told an outright lie. I've honored God to the, the best of my ability. I'm good. Me and God are good. And then comes this 10th commandment, and it's bam, it's a gut punch. It's like, oh, yeah, what about the internal things? What about the internal cravings that you have, those intense desires? And here the word for, for coveting is epithumeo. It means over-desires. We've talked about that before. It's, that, that word is usually translated evil desires or sexual desires because it's that kind of a powerful craving. That it's hard to resist. And Paul says, that one got me. That one's the one that got me as a Pharisee. Thou shalt not covet. It came to him in full force. And this is where it gets really interesting. Look at verses 8 and 9 here. What Paul says. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. So the second function of the law is to provoke sin. And you're like, man, that sounds evil and immoral. Well, this, this is the way that the law of God works. And we all know this. And I've talked about this before, but Paul continues to talk about this. You know, Paul said this back in, in verse 5 of this chapter. Check it out. He says, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. How is it that that works? Well, check this out. Let's just say that you're a kid. Uh, you're a young man. You're a boy. And you've got a rock in your hand. And you're watching construction workers put up two plate glass windows on a storefront. And they Windex them. They finish them. They, they trim them out. And they go home for the day. And you've got this rock in your hand. And one of those plate glass windows, the owner, before he goes home, puts up a big sign. And it says, do not throw rocks at this window. 
Which one are you more tempted to throw a rock at? Let me say it another way. Forget the kid holding the rock. Two windows go up. The sign goes on one. Which window is going to get broken first? You know the answer to that, don't you? Now, let me, have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is that? Why does human nature function that way? Why do we have such a propensity when something is prohibited? We want it. We crave it. Knowing this is for, that's why we all, even unbelievers that don't even know the Bible use the term forbidden fruit. That's exactly what happened in the garden. That's exactly what happened. God said, look, any tree in this entire garden you may eat. And there was lush fruit there. It was, an ama- it was a perfect environment. They, Adam and Eve, had everything that a human being could ever need. They had fellowship with God, fellowship with one another, harmony with the animals, harmony with the planet, if you even want to say it that way. And then God said, oh, one thing, one thing. Do not eat of this tree. Don't eat it. And what happened? You know history, right? Why? What happened? Some people think that this whole passage is a parallel to that story. Because Paul says... There was a time when I was alive. They think that he is putting himself in the garden as Adam and Eve, as the first humans. He said, there was a time I was alive apart from the law. I was alive. I walked with God. I was in fellowship. I thought everything was A-OK, hunky-dory. And then the law came. And then sin, you could use Satan, came. And he took occasion. He said, hey, did God, did God really say you can't? God said you can't have that, huh? Oh, God's all law. He's all law. I'm all love. See, God's holding out on you. God's afraid of what will happen. You'll be, you'll be just like him if you eat that. Oh, look at that fruit. Look how amazing that is. Too bad you can't have it. Do you see how sin arouses, uh, sin takes the opportunity uh, and uses the law as leverage like a fulcrum. It seizes the opportunity and produces and provokes all kinds of sinful epithumeo inside of you where you want what is forbidden. You want what you cannot have. That's what he's saying. It's interesting, the word for opportunity. It says sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment. The word for opportunity is a military term, and it means basically base of operations. Sin came and looked at the commandments and said, I'm setting up camp right here. This is my base of operations in the human heart, and I'm going to leverage every which way I can to arouse sin, to stimulate these desires inside of human beings. You know, my friend on the airplane was initially resistant to the idea that she was a sinner. I went through, I said, can I, can I ask you a question? I said, are you, uh, I said, I'm, I'm telling you this list, these commands, these laws. I said, do you, do you feel like you kept that? She said, oh, yeah. <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, I keep those. I said, you do? She said, yeah. She said, I, I, I love God. And, and uh, she said, I'm a good person. I'm a nice person. I said, have you ever told a lie? And she said, no, no, I don't think so. And I'm like, for real? I said, man, you're the, that's the first. I've never met anybody that's never told a lie. I said, you're like totally honest all the time. She said, yeah. I'm like, oh, oh okay, all right. Next, let's go down the list here. You ever stole anything? She said, no. I have everything I need. She's a very wealthy, very wealthy person. She said, I have everything I could ever need. Why would I want any, why would I steal anything, you know? I said, you ever always honored your mom and dad? Yep, great relationship with my parents. She has a tough cookie to crack, man. And I said, have you ever coveted something? She said, coveted. I said, yeah. Have you ever wanted something that didn't belong to you? She said, no. Why, why, would, why would I want anything that didn't belong to me? I have everything that I need. And she said, and I'm a nice person. I said, well, can I ask you a question? Are you nice enough? And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, you said you're a nice person. You're a good person. Are you good enough? Are you nice enough? Because you, you're measuring all this stuff horizontally, like on a, a level playing field. God's commandments are vertical. I said, you said you have everything that you need. Do you have enough of it? She said, what do you mean? I said, do you have enough admiration? 
It was interesting because when she got on that airplane, this is, I didn't intend to draw this story out this long. I'm sorry. But if this helps you, maybe God wants me to share this story. She got on the airplane right before the pilot was welcoming us, telling us how the temperature in Florida. And this lady, she came in, she looked really flustered. And uh, she sat down and she was breathing hard. And she said, I'm sorry. I said, what are you sorry for? She said, I'm just so embarrassed. I fell. She said, I fell on the, you know, the escalators at the airport that are flat. I don't know what you call those. But sometimes you, you know, you jump off of those and you, it throws you, hurts your back. She only had a 10-minute window to get from her, you know, last plane to this plane. And she was running. She had on a long dress. She tripped on the escalator. She fell down and she was hurt. She, she thought she may have broken her hand. Um, and so she's usually this well put together, has everything, you know, and, and, and she, she got on the plane and she kept saying, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm so embarrassed. I said, what are you embarrassed for? I said, all the people that you fell in front of, I didn't even see it. And I said, you're, not even, you're never going to see them again. Who cares? She said, I know that I'm just so embarrassed. Do you know what she was confessing to me? Huh? I, I, want, I want admiration from people. I want everybody's respect. And I, I tripped. I fell. I embarrassed myself. I got egg on my face. Do you see, man? What she coveted that she didn't have was everyone's respect and admiration and praise. Now, Donna, I gave her a card. If you're listening to this, I'm not throwing shade on you. I've, I've prayed for you, and, and, and we talked about these things. This is what the law of God's function is, to define sin and to expose sin, to reveal it, to show you. See, we all, on the surface, we think we're okay, man. We're doing all right. The law of God says you're not as good as you think you are, and you've got to look down deep, deep within and see these forbidden desires. That's what the law of God, it provokes it so that you can see it, so that you can turn from it, so that you can acknowledge it and confess it. And get right with God. That's what it is. Coveting is the one that got Paul. And it will get all of us if we're honest. Have you ever craved something that didn't belong to you? Of course you have. Listen, man, there's a story. I still think about this. This is so, this is so terrible. I was an athlete in high school. Uh, I know I don't look it now. But I used to run. I used to run long distance. And, man, I loved that. I was so competitive. And just the thrill, just the thrill of right before the race, they announced... All participants of the 1,600-meter run report to the... I, I, cra- I loved it. And we had this really big track meet. It was the pre-qualifying heats for, for the state championship. And it was a really important race. And there was a guy that I knew would be there from Mountain Home. And he was better than me. He was faster than me. I just, he just naturally was a gifted guy, man. And he showed up, and I was like, oh, great. In my mind, I'm thinking, great, is here. Hey, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Lie. Not good to see you. And I said, how you feeling today? He said, man, I'm feeling terrible. I just ate a hot dog before the race. And I said, oh, man, I'm sorry. Lie, I'm not sorry. And he said, so I don't know, man, I'm feeling sick. I don't know if I can race. I'm like, oh, man, I hope you feel better. Another lie. And, and we're about to race. We're about to get up on the point. And, and, and can I just be honest with you? I mean, of course I can. I wanted the guy to throw his guts up and, and pass out on the side. You, why, why, did I, why would I want that? Why would I want that? Because I want the respect. I want to pre-qualify for the state championship. I want to beat him. I wanted to beat the school record. I wanted that guy to go away and disappear. How terrible is that for a human being? And that's not even that extreme of an example. I don't think I could give you others, but we're in church. So I'm sure you have your own example. What, what is it about us? I broke like four commandments right there. I lied. I coveted. Uh, I committed idolatry. Because I wanted something that didn't belong to me anyway. Uh, yes, he did. He, thank you. He did beat me. He did. He was a fast runner, man. And, and then I committed another sin, right? I wanted to murder him. <laughs> so that's, what, that's the purpose of the commandment. 
It's to define sin and then to expose it, to provoke it so that you can see it. Because here's what happens, friend. Sin lies dormant like a volcano in almost all of us. It did in Paul. Do you read his, his biography in Philippians uh, when he says, you know, before, before, before the coveting commandment came and slaughtered me, he said, I was zealous. I was blameless according to the tradition of my fathers. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was zealous to the point of even persecuting the church, thinking I was serving God. Paul felt like he was alive. And, and this is where we pick up here. Look at this, verse 9. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, and look, Paul was a Pharisee. He grew up at the feet of Gamaliel. There was never a time as a Jewish lad where he would have been apart from the law. What he's saying is there was a time when I thought, like the lady on the airplane that I met, that me and God are good. I'm keeping the law. I'm not killing people. I'm not lying to my parents. I'm not fashioning idols. He said, I thought I was good. And then look, he says, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. And that's a glorious death, my friends, that he's talking about. I hope every single person in this room has been slaughtered by the law in that way because that's the way it's supposed to function. It's supposed to show you, you are not okay. In the least sense, you're not okay. You are a fallen, depraved, evil human being. You're not going to hear that in every church this week, I promise you. But you, that's the bad news that precedes the good news. The good news is just going to be superficial news if you don't get the depths of your depravity. You know, St. Augustine wrote, R.C. Sproul was the one who, who turned me on to this book, uh, Confessions of St. Augustine. Um, St. Augustine's in Florida, St. Augustine's in heaven. He was, he was the, I think he's the greatest uh, uninspired Christian writer in the first thousand years of church history. That's how, that's how elevated I hold his writings. But he wrote a book, unlike anything of its kind in the day. He's confessing all of his sins. In a book, and it took the world by storm. And in that book, there's something he couldn't quite shake. He was 16 years old, and he grew up in North Africa. And as a 16-year-old boy, him and some other juvenile delinquents in the middle of the night ran out, and they shook a pear tree in an orchard, and all the pears fell. And they took those pears, and they stole them. And here's what he says in his confessions. Can I just read it to you? It might be better if I just read it to you. Near our vineyard, there was a pear tree loaded with fruit. Though the fruit was not particularly attractive, either in color or taste, I and some other youths conceived the idea of shaking the pears off this tree and carrying them away. We set out late at night and stole all the fruit that we can carry. And this was not to feed ourselves. We may have tasted a few, but then we threw the rest to the pigs. Our real pleasure was simply in doing something that was not allowed. I had plenty of better pairs of my own. I only took these ones in order that I might be a thief. Once I had taken them, I threw them away, and all I tasted in them was my own iniquity, which I enjoyed very much. Nobody wrote anything like this the first thousand years. They were like, I'm good, you're good, I'm fine, you're fine. (laughs) He wrote that, and it it, it shook people. They're like, wow, St. Augustine? Yeah, that's right. That's right. This is what he said later. And the book is a confession, so he's writing it as if it's a prayer to God. He says, What then was it that I loved in that theft of mine? Did I find it pleasant to break your law, unpunished? And so producing a darkened shadow of omnipotence. He's saying, I wanted to be God. I wanted to be in control. What a sight. A servant running away from his master and following a shadow. Could I enjoy what was forbidden for no other reason except that it was forbidden? That's what he's saying. Why did he steal the pears? Because they were forbidden. He knew better. His parents raised him better. But just the delight. You know, there's a proverb that says, 
the wicked rolls back and forth on his bed, anticipating the iniquity he'll do the next. He can't sleep unless he does something evil. Just the delight, the thrill, right? That's what vandalism is. That's why kids throw dirt clods at semis on the highway and, and write graffiti on the wall. And that's why some people write program for software that's, uh, what do you call that? Malware, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some money in some of that, but some people just do it for the heck of it. It's like, I want to unleash this virus on Microsoft or Apple. Why? Because you shouldn't, because it's forbidden. It's, it's just for the thrill of it, naughty by nature. And Paul is saying that's what the law does. It reveals this. It, it actually has an unintended, unintended consequence, right? The law does. It produces its opposite. Here's another story that, that I came across this, this week. Uh, there was a part of India called New Delhi that was under British colonial rule. And uh, there was a growing problem there. Way back in the day, there were these huge venomous king cobras overpopulating and appearing everywhere in the city. And the government officials are scratching their heads thinking, not good. These things kill. They bite you, you're done. So what are we going to do? we got to control the cobra population. So they came up with a brilliant idea. We're going to put a bounty on every dead cobra that they bring to us. And it became a law. If you see a cobra, kill the cobra. Bring it into the government, you get a reward, you get a bounty. And it was working. There were lots of dead cobras that were brought to the government. People were making money. And the uh, sightings of cobra in the city were significantly diminished. But what do you think happened? These bright young businessmen got this idea. You know, we could start a cobra farm. Right? Let's not take this cobra, male, and this cobra, female. Let's not kill them. Let's breed them. And then we'll have a cobra farm. And we'll just keep killing the new cobras and taking them in and cashing them in. That's what they did. So eventually the government's like, where are all these cobras coming from? We don't see any in the city. And we're losing the bankroll. It's, it's running out. It's depleted. So they finally figured out there's, there's cobra farms everywhere. <laughs> that should just, that's another illustration of depravity, right? And they said, uh, so the word got out. These cobra farmers, they're like, man, they're on to us. They're going to catch us. So you know what they did just to spite the government? What do you think they did? They turned all those venomous cobras loose. And at the end of all of this, the government was broke, right? And the cobra population in the city was higher than it was before. Unintended consequence. That's what, that's what happens here. Sin took occasion. It set up a base camp because of the law. The, the problem is not the commandment. The problem is sin. And it's manipulation and it's control and it leverages the law. It sees the opportunity. That's how deceptive sin is. It captivates, it dominates, and it destroys. That's what Paul is telling us here. And really, the, what Augustine goes on to say was that I think in every human, part, human heart, or there is what uh, Tears for Fear says, everybody wants to rule the world. I don't really want anybody telling me what to do or what not to do, to be honest. Do you? Don't, don't throw no law at me. Don't tell me what I can do, what I can't do. And in coveting, it's like, I can't. Why? That's a victimless crime. Why can't I want your car? Who's that hurt? God says, don't covet. And so what do we naturally do? I want it. I got to have it. All right? Can I give you another illustration? <laughs> I want you to get this. And 60% of the world's population are visual learners. So maybe you're in that 60%. I don't know when I read it. I think I was a teenager. But somebody gave me uh, Edgar Allan Poe's story, Telltale Heart. Anybody ever read that? That's pretty dark. <laughs> it's pretty dark. It's about a man who's telling the story of uh, an old man that lived with him. Um, and, and the old man was nice and kind, but he had this eye. That no matter where this guy went, that old man's eye would follow him. 
and said he couldn't stand it anymore. So he killed the old man, right? And he buried him under the floorboards of the, of the house they lived. And the authorities came. And the man is very proud and very glib. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. And he invited them in. And they sat down. And eventually he hears the heart. Doom, 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 doom. And it drives him crazy. And I think it's guilt. And so he confesses his crime. But what's interesting in that story is there's all kinds of narrative analysis, literary analysis of what's the... I, I think this. I think the story is about guilt. And guilt can literally drive a person to the point of insanity. But I think also is just this authority, just the, the old man's eye. I've always thought that represented morality and authority and, and omnipotence. He's like, this, this, this old man never did me any harm. He never did me any wrong. He said, but his eye, it was like a vulture's eye, like waiting for something to happen so it could tear me apart. I always thought that Edgar Allan Poe, that was maybe a secret allegorical uh, expose of his view of the divine authority. Like, I just want it to go away. I want to kill it. And if we're honest, if we're honest, all of us want to set up a divine throne in our own heart. We don't want God to have omnipotence. We don't want God to be sovereign. It's like the parable that Jesus told of the landowner that built the vineyard, planted the, planted the vines and the grapes, and then he hired servants and he went away. And when he went away, the people of that land said, we do not want this man to reign over us. And when he sent servants back to collect the harvest, they mistreated them, and then finally he sent his son. He said, surely they'll respect my son. And what did they do with the son? They slaughtered him and kicked him out, of, buried him outside of the vineyard. That's just a parable about whatever human heart feels. We don't want laws. We don't want anybody to have authority over us. We want to have the throne in our own hearts. Everybody wants to rule the world. That's what this is, is really teaching us about the law. Sin comes and it weaponizes God's law. It seizes opportunity. It would be like a scalpel. A scalpel is a life-saving instrument that a surgeon can use to, to open you up and to show you what's in there so that you can correct it. Sin comes along and takes the scalpel and starts slicing people's throats with it. That's the picture here that Paul gives. Well, here's the last part, and we're closing out with this. Thank you for your patience. Last point here. It'll be a quick one. Look at verse, uh, look at verse 10. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. Verse 11, for sin, seizing an opportunity, he says the same thing again, through the commandment deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. And then he, he ends where he starts. Did that which is good then, he's talking about the law, bring death to me? By no means. It was sin. It was sin producing death in me through, which, through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Can I, can I close out with this question? Have you seen your sin to be exceedingly sinful? <laughs> Sounds like a poem, doesn't it? Have you seen the depths of your own sin against God? Or have you somehow managed to exist with this superficial understanding of, you know, I'm okay, um, I have my moments, but I'm no Ted Bundy, I'm no Charles Manson, I'm not a serial killer, I'm not sociopathic, I'm not psychotic. There's a lot of people that are a lot worse off than me. I think a lot of people in Central Florida right now in 2022 have no idea how profound and deep and sinful and depraved their heart is. And the Apostle Paul is saying they've used the commandment the wrong way. The right way to use it is to let it open you up and see like, oh my, oh my, I'm in a terrible need of remedy. So I just wonder how many people are in this room right now. See, the third thing that the law does 
is it condemns sinners. There's, there's, there's no hope with the law. It, it's like this sheer face cliff. You can't climb it. You can't keep it. And here's what God wants us to do is to confess that. Lord, this law represents your perfect moral character. It says thou shalt not lie because you're truthful. It says don't commit adultery because you're pure. It says don't, don't covet because you're all satisfying and you're everything we need and we should be content with you. And we've broken that. We violated that. And in doing that, we haven't broken you. We've broken ourselves. I mean, the law, the law is how human life works best. I love Sally Lloyd-Jones's Jesus Storybook Bible. She says, these commandments show you how life works best. And when you break them, you're wrecking your own life, right? But the law actually condemns the sinner. So what does, uh, what does the law do? It defines sin, it provokes sin, and it condemns sinner. But what does Jesus do? Jesus covers our sin, doesn't he? Anybody in here need your sin to be covered? Anybody have skeletons in your closet and secrets in your heart? Anybody got a record you want to present to God to try and, and uh, shoehorn your way into heaven? Like, God, you know what? This is not the best record. I'm pretty proud of it. Here you go. <laughs> you need to look at that law again. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, what, what good thing must I do to live? And Jesus said, you know the law. And he says, oh, yeah, this I've kept from my youth. And, and, and Jesus said, uh, yeah, do, do this and live. And then Jesus called him out. And he said, oh, oh, wait a minute. There's one thing you lack. Sell everything that you have and give your money to the poor and come follow me. And then you'll have treasure in heaven. And what does it say? The young man went away sad because he, he owned many things. What was Jesus doing? He loved that man enough to say, hey, you're a coveter. You love things material possessions more than you love God, but you're not willing to own up to that yet. The law condemns the sinner. You know what Jesus says? We're going to get to this next, next chapter. It says Jesus condemns sin. <laughs> the law condemns you, the sinner, me, the sinner, outside of Christ. But Jesus condemns sin and pardons the sinner. Man, what an exchange. How glorious is that? <laughs> he pardons the sinner. He covers the sin. Does that thrill your heart? Do you want to be free today? <laughs> this is Jesus offers human beings, men, women, and children, the freedom they've always wanted and longed for, the liberty. You want to be liberated, man, from your sin and from your bondage and your captivity of Satan, sin, and self. And Jesus comes and he says, I stood in for you. I kept that law perfectly. I've got a perfect record. I've got righteousness that's yours. God will look at you, and it will be as if you lived my perfect life, and God will look at me, and he will treat me as if I'm guilty of all the sins you ever committed. I hope that you know that freedom, and you can have it. You can have it right now. You don't have to go and, and do this quest and keep this pilgrimage and be reach enlightenment and nirvana and reincarnation. Here's all you got to do. Are you ready for this? You've got to believe the good news about what Jesus came to do for you and for me. He kept the law. He's, he's God's spotless, perfect lamb. He was slaughtered for you, and God raised him up from the grave. If you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, if you confess with your mouth, rather, that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Say, Jesus, you're Lord. I'm not. I'm a sinner. You're perfect. You're pure. I'm not. I'm unholy. I want to be in your kingdom. I want to be forgiven. I want to have the hope. Of, of forgiveness, and I want the more abundant life. You can do that right now where you're at, sitting in your seat. Cry out to God for mercy. You say, well, I don't know what to say. Then groan. Then groan and say, God, save me. I'm a sinner. It's not going to be a perfect prayer that you pray. 
There is no perfect prayer. Jesus was the only perfect prayer, right? So can you call out to him right now? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you would show mercy and compassion to those who have misunderstood the law and maybe Christians in this room who are still putting themselves under the law thinking that uh, maybe it was Jesus who got them in the kingdom, but now it's their law keeping and their moral efforts and their performance that's going to keep them in the kingdom. Lord, they're still working to try and earn your acceptance and try and earn your favor, forgetting they already have it. They already have your acceptance. They already have your favor. They already have the smile of God because of what you did on their behalf. I pray they would come to realize that today and experience freedom and power over their sins and temptations and the struggles that they feel so weak in. I pray they would find just new life today, Lord. And if there's anyone in here that is outside of your kingdom, I pray today would be the day, this would be the moment, Lord, that they see you in all your power and beauty and glory and they find you so compelling of a person, Lord. They want to come to you and unburden themselves and you will not turn anyone away who comes to you in faith and repentance and humility, confessing their sins and turning away, embracing you and your lordship. I pray they would do that today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, listen, our worship team is going to play a song of reflection. We do this every week. And uh, we have a prayer team in the back that if you want to come and unburden yourself, if you want to come and pray, if you want to come and confess a sin, if you want to come and cry, whatever it is. I know we have a lot of heartaches, uh, even in a, a small church like this. We have one of our faithful members, Diane, just her, her mother this week. I'm not trying to embarrass you, sister. This is your, this is your family. Um, her mother passed into glory, and uh, she's with Jesus now. Hallelujah, she's with Jesus. But you know what? It's, we still mourn the loss of the people we care about and love. And, and uh, so maybe, maybe you're mourning today. Maybe, maybe you're sad today. Or maybe today uh, you have just good news. You're thrilled. God answered a prayer. You want to come and share it and pray with somebody. Or maybe you just want to sit in your chair and just reflect and take in everything that you heard. Maybe you want to read this passage some more when you get home. Um, or you want to fill out a connect card in the back and request to meet with me or another leader or elder later, we would welcome any of that. This is your time to do that as we sit and reflect and pray, and then we'll hear some announcements and, and we'll go our way. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for these truths. Thank you for the power and the beauty and the authority of the Word of God. Thank you that you are gentle and you're lowly and you welcome sinners to come to you. You draw near of those that are in need, those that are desperate, those that feel broken beyond repair, those that are confused, those that are hungry and, and thirsty for righteousness, those that are mourning, those that feel unwelcome and unaccepted. May this be the day they come to you, Lord, and find freedom and power and acceptance in God through Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. I want to invite you guys to just dwell on the truth that Tommy just shared with us from God's Word. That God did not just give us the law and say, good luck. He He sent us a Savior because He knows that we can't keep it. So, like he said, there's a prayer team in the back, so feel free to pray with them or just pray where you are as we uh, just sing this truth. sweet the sound that saved 
a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Towards grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieves. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. My chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. My chains set free my God my Savior has ransomed me and like a flood his mercy reigns unending love amazing grace the shall soon dissolve like snow the sun forbear to shine but God who called me here below will be forever mine my chains are gone set free my God my Savior has ransomed me and like a flood his mercy reigns unending love amazing grace unending love grace father and thank you for your son who came and obeyed the law perfectly lord and lived a perfect life and his righteousness can be counted as ours if we put our faith and our trust in him and him alone thank you for that in jesus name amen
was a bummer, huh? I'm teasing. So thankful for those last 10 minutes, right? I'm so thankful for the gospel that lays out for us how lost we are. And I, I couldn't help but think about later in chapter 7, Pastor Tommy's going to get to, so spoiler alert. Uh, if you want to turn off your, your hearing aid or something while I'm doing this, it's coming in a couple of weeks. But Paul talks about through the rest of chapter 7 how frustrating it is and his own struggles with the law. And then verse 24, he cries out, wretched man that I am. This is awful. Who will deliver me from this body of death that the law points out? Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then chapter 8, probably my favorite chapter in the whole Bible, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I got to stop or we're going to have a second sermon <laughs> because it gets real exciting. So make sure you comment over the next few weeks. Um, somewhere on here I have some announcements. Hold on. There's a QR code that uh, was pointed out before. We are having an ambassador meeting for anyone who serves with the children's ministry or who wants to serve with the children's ministry next Sunday in the 1st. There's more information in the app, but also there's a sign-up in the app. If you would go under the events section, um, just so we can make sure we have enough food, because you know how we like to bribe you to come to meetings with food. Um, so that's next Sunday, and I'm going to try to go in chronological order here. The following Sunday, which is May 8th, we're going to have a child and baby dedication, which is always a special time. And uh, if you want to know more information about how we do it, if you want to um, not register your kid, but let us know you want to take part in the, in the baby dedication, send an email to kids at gracelifeflorida.com, and we'll connect with you. And then the week after that, we're having our women's and men's gatherings. Again, information in the app, but on Tuesday the 10th is the ladies, and on Thursday the 12th, the men will gather together for a sweet time. It, it always is of learning, of discipleship, of prayer, and fellowship. So I think that's the last one. Let's stand together. We'll have our charge. I am a witness. I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent. Have a great week.